Let's look at Mark chapter 16, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8 this morning, thinking about God's word. Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for the gift of Easter Sunday morning. Thank you for kids going through the Easter hallway. Thank you for families together to take pictures and spend time together. God, thank you for coffee and donuts and all the fun of being able to gather together to worship and celebrate this morning. God, open our hearts to your word. Help us to think about the meaning of the resurrection. Do we believe that that's true? Do we believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And and if we believe that, what kind of impact does that make in our lives? God, help us to think about that this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning on Easter, the key word, the key theme that I want you to have in your mind is the idea of fear. It's, it's a surprising word to run into on Easter Sunday morning, especially here at the end of one of the Gospels in the New Testament. But that, that word fear is kind of our key theme, our key word as we go through and we think about the message of Easter. Now, back in the day, late 1980s, early 1990s, there were two brothers, uh, Brian and Mike Simo, who started a company called No Fear. Any adults brave enough to admit that they owned some No Fear shirts uh, back in the day? So uh, the No Fear company, they got connected to motocross and adventure sports and, and developed this clothing brand. They were also one of the first energy drink makers on the market. So teenagers, kids, long before Monster Drinks and Red Bull, there was No Fear energy drinks. Uh, I don't know what you fear in life. Some of you may fear vintage 1990s clothing uh, like that up there. That may be one of, your, uh, one of your fears in life. But we think about all these things that we fear, and no fear was like, I'm not afraid. I can overcome anything that, that comes to me. So let's play a little game of name that phobia. All right? We played this game in Emmaus before, but we're going to play a little game of, of name that phobia. Number one, a blutophobia. A blutophobia. Don't Google it. Don't cheat. Just like, do I, do I know this? Okay, here it is. It is the fear of bathing. All right. Kids, I'm not telling you to use this. I'm just saying maybe like if you're a little, uh, like, you know, I don't want to take a, a, di- a shower tonight or a bath. I just have a blutophobia. I just have a, a fear of bathing. Number two, isoptrophobia. Isoptrophobia. It's a little hard to get all the syllables in the right spot there. Isoptrophobia. Um, Fear of mirrors. 
So if I have a blutophobia, I might have isoptophobia, both, like fear of mirrors. Uh, number three, lachinophobia. I think that CH is probably hard. Lachinophobia. Anybody? All right. Fear of vegetables. Yeah. Again, kids, not saying to use this, but hey, if you went to lunch after the service and you see a bunch of vegetables on your plate and you're like, yeah, not, not having those, you just have lachinophobia. No big deal. You have, you have a fear of vegetables. Um, number four, glossophobia. Glossophobia. Fear of speaking. Fear of speaking. Glossophobia. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, now remember the Jewish Sabbath runs from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. So mostly we think of Sabbath as Saturday, but it's Friday sundown to Saturday Sunday. When, when the Sabbath had passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go and anoint Jesus. Now, why would you need to buy spices and perfume to take to a, a graveside like this? Well, remember, the Jewish people, they didn't embalm bodies the way you would in an Egyptian culture. And so what they would do, they would place these bodies in a tomb or a cave, and they would take perfume or spices to cut down on the smell of the decomposing body because they would wait for the body to decompose and then they would take the bones and put the bones in a bone box or an ossuary and store the bones that way. So you would take spices and perfumes just to cut down on, on the smell there. And so these ladies are buying these spices and perfumes to take to the tomb, realize they don't expect Jesus to have been raised from the dead. They expect to find Jesus' body when they get there, but we know when they get there, they don't find Jesus' body. It's very interesting that these women become the first witnesses of the empty tomb. Because in this culture, if you were going to make up a story about there being an empty tomb, Jesus was in the tomb and then he was no longer in the tomb, he had risen, he wasn't there. If you were going to make up a story, you would not write that story so that the women were the first witnesses. Because in this culture, women were not considered credible witnesses in the same way that a male witness would have been considered a credible witness. And so when we think to ourselves, do I really believe this story happened? Like, do I believe the way the gospel writer presents it here, that Jesus was in the tomb and then no longer in the tomb, do I believe that? There's good reason to believe that happened because you're not going to make up a story with women being the first witnesses. And like we said last year, or, or last week, going to make up a story where this many women are named Mary either. <laughs> like, it's way too confusing with this many Marys. And so there are signs. Whatever you might believe personally about the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus died and then came to life again, whatever you might believe about that, there is very good historical evidence that Jesus was in the tomb and then no longer in the tomb question of what happened, we have to kind of see how the story develops here, but that's the way the story is set up. Verse 2, very early on the first day of the week, so now we've gotten to sunrise on, on Sunday morning, very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. We saw in chapter 15 of Mark that on Friday morning, 
leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus, the sun came up, but then what happened in the middle of the day on Friday? It got completely dark in the middle of the day on Friday. Here we are on Sunday, though, the sun's going to come up, and it's not going to get dark because a new day is dawning. Something new is happening in the world. The way that Mark has written his gospel, so the second book in your New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, the way Mark has written the gospel, he's given us indicators that the gospel is divided into seven days. Six different times in the Gospel of Mark, he talks about it was evening and then more things happened. And so the way the Gospel of Mark is set up, it's set up in seven days. And so what do you get on the seventh day in the Gospel of Mark? You get the resurrection of Jesus. This is God's new work. This is the work that God is doing in the world. The resurrection of Jesus has come. So what happens in verse 3? In verse 3, these women were saying to one another as they're going to the tomb, hey, who's going to roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw it had been rolled back. It was very large. Okay, this is great. At the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, if you go back to chapter 1, Jesus is baptized. And at the baptism of Jesus, it says that God tore open the sky and the Spirit was poured out, God's Word was poured out, and they begin to see who Jesus was. So at the baptism of Jesus, at the beginning of the book, the sky is torn open. At the death of Jesus, what is torn open? The curtain. The curtain in the temple is torn open, and the glory and Spirit of God rushes out, and the people of God have access to Him in the temple. So at the, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the sky is torn open. At the death of Jesus, the curtain in the temple is torn open. At the resurrection of Jesus, what is torn open? The grave, the rocks, the cave is torn open as Jesus comes out and people are able to see and experience the glory of God. So all throughout Mark's gospel, he is showing how God's power breaks down walls, breaks down barriers, and pours out his spirit, pours out his glory into the world so we can experience that. Verse 5. Entering the tomb, so now the women are going into the tomb, they saw a young, man, a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. I don't know if you're one of the people who jumps and screams hysterically when someone uh, surprises you, like you go around the corner. So uh, over here in our offices uh, at, at church, there are a ton of hallways and you can easily surprise someone. And I'm not going to say who on our staff screams and jumps like when they're surprised. But we'll let you make, you make, you, it's, it's really Cody. Cody's the one that screams and jumps when, uh, when he gets surprised in the hallway. But uh, I can imagine these women, when they walk into the tomb, what are they expecting to find? A dead body. All they expect to find when they walk into the tomb is Jesus' dead body lying there. And when you walk into a room and you see someone that you didn't expect to be there, man, that gets your attention in a hurry. And it says here that they are alarmed by what they experience. Verse 6, and he said to them, don't be alarmed. <laughs> Chill out. It, it's, it's okay. Don't, don't be scared. Do not be alarmed. You are seeking Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen he is not here. Kids, that is the message of Easter. He is risen. 
He is not here. You came seeing a dead man. He is risen. He is not here. God is doing something new. See the place where they laid him. Don't spend your life seeking after something that is dead. Spend your life experiencing the power of the risen Jesus. Give your life to that. That's where we find hope. That's where we find life. Verse 7. What does the angel tell them in verse 7? Because Jesus isn't here, go tell his disciples and tell Peter, the leader of the disciples, the one that denied Jesus three times, tell Peter what has happened. Jesus isn't here. He's risen. He's alive. And then tell them that he is going, Jesus is going before you to Galilee. Why Galilee? The way this works is in the Holy Land where Jesus lived his entire life. If you think about it like the Oklahoma City metro area, Galilee is the north side. It's the Edmond, North Oklahoma City people. And then the south side is what was called Judea. And then Jerusalem was kind of on the upper part of that north side. So let's just call it the Paycom Center or somewhere down, downtown. Crossroads Mall, even better. Uh, it's kind of in, in that area. Old Crossroads Mall, of course, where you bought your no-fear gear back, back in the day. Um, but um, it was set up in that way. So Jesus and his disciples started their ministry in Galilee in the north. He then comes down south to Jerusalem where he's crucified, and he says, go back to Galilee. I'm going to meet you there. Why? Because he's taking them back to where it all began, to tell them what I'm up to is not finished. We're going back to Galilee, and then we're going into all the world. And so the angel tells these women, go and tell Peter and the disciples this. And then you get verse 8. Then you get verse 8. And they went out, and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The end of the Gospel of Mark. Whoa! Like, talk, talk about a surprise. Talk about unexpected ending cliffhanger. Have you ever devoted hours of your life to reading a book, or watching a movie, or watching a Netflix series, and you get to the end, and you think, it ended like that? Like, I gave all, we've spent 15 months at Emmaus studying the Gospel of Mark, and it ends like that? Like, that's not what I expected. Nobody in here is going to watch a 10-hour movie, but somebody gives you 10 one-hour episodes on Netflix, and you're eating that up. Like, you're going all the way, and then you get to the end, and you think, really? It ended like that. The end of Mark's Gospel brings up so many questions for us. Here's question number one to think about, okay? Into Mark's gospel, question number one. Does Mark's gospel actually end in verse eight? That's, that's an important question because if you open, if you have a hard copy in the, of the Bible in front of you or you're looking on your phone, you might see a little note that says later manuscripts added additional verses or put in some other material. A majority of our later manuscripts have extra verses there earlier manuscripts stop at verse 8. And so there's questions about where does Mark's gospel actually stop. If you enjoy those questions, if that's super interesting stuff for you, next Sunday night at 5 o'clock here at Emmaus, I'm going to use my Sunday night sermon to kind of address those questions. What's happening with those verses at the end of Mark chapter 16? So we don't do Sunday night service on Easter Sunday, but next Sunday night, 5 o'clock, I'm going to address those. 
If you think to yourself, it took a lot for me to come this morning, there's no way I'm coming back next Sunday night, but you're curious about these questions, reach out to me. My email should be on the little handout you received, or you can use that QR code. There's an information card in the seat back. If you come to Emmaus, number one, I hope you feel welcomed. I hope you feel cared for and loved and valued. And the second thing I hope you experience at Emmaus is that this is a good place to ask questions. If you have questions, if we ever feel like we have questions about the Bible or theology and we're not allowed to bring those questions to church, that doesn't help anybody. If you have questions, I'd love to give you my phone number. I'd love to give you my email. Let's talk about those questions. There are questions about what's happening at the end of Mark's gospel. But I will tell you, I think it ends in verse 8. And then you got the question, why would Mark end gospel with a reference to the women running away in fear? Here's to keep in mind, the original recipients of Mark's book, Mark's gospel that he's writing here, the original people who received this, they were living in Rome in about the year 64, 65, give or take. Uh, they're living in Rome in the middle of the first century. They know how the story ends. They know that the women ultimately go and tell this Peter and disciples what's happening. They know Jesus is raised from the dead. So why would Mark end right here? Here's the reason. All throughout the Gospel of Mark, he's been showing us how the disciples struggle to have faith. The disciples struggle to understand who Jesus is. The disciples struggle to follow Jesus. And all along, his Gospel is designed to ask the question, what would you do? if you were in that situation? What would you do if you experienced the miracles of Jesus? What would you do if you received the preaching of Jesus? What would you do if you walked into an empty tomb hoping to make it smell better and there's an angel there and the person you're looking for is not there? What would you do in that situation? Would you respond in fear or would you respond in faith? The Gospel of Mark is designed to call us to respond in faith instead of fear. Now, here's the thing. We cannot miss the power of the resurrection. These disciples and these women, they miss out. They almost miss out, we should say, on the power of the resurrection. Why? Because they're afraid. How many people miss out on God's work in their life because they're afraid? They miss the power of the resurrection. They miss what God wants to do in their life because they're afraid. The resurrection of Jesus is the dividing point for history. I know this could sound rude to say, but I'm just going to say it straightforward. If the resurrection of Jesus never happened, what we're doing here this morning is a waste, an absolute waste. But if the resurrection of Jesus is true, if it truly happened, it changes everything. It is the most important event in the history of humanity that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that he rose again. If Jesus was raised from the dead, don't miss it. Don't miss that power in your life. What would cause us to miss out on it? Fear. Fear would cause us to miss out on it. And you might say, I'm not afraid of anything. Well, let me test you on that, okay? I'm not afraid of anything. Let me put, you th put in front of you three types of fear that we see in this story. Fear number one is the fear that the past will control me. Fear number two 
is the fear that the present will overwhelm me. Fear number three is the fear that the future will disappoint me. Okay? Three kinds of fear that you find in this story. The disciples, they miss out on the power of the resurrection because they're being controlled by their past mistakes and failures, their denial of Jesus. They've run away. The women, they miss out on the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, because they're in a panic over their present circumstances, what they're experiencing. And both the disciples and the women are going to miss out on what's going to happen in Galilee in the future because they're so overwhelmed by what they've experienced. Three types of fear. That the past will control me, that the present will overwhelm me, and that the future will disappoint me. So here's what we're going to do in Emmaus. We're going to spend the next three weeks looking at each of those individually. Now, we're not going to follow the exact order. I'll, I'll tell you what order we're going to follow. But we're going to take the next three weeks and ask the question, how does the resurrection of Jesus help me deal with those fears? So in two weeks from now, we're going to deal with the past will control me, okay? Two weeks from now, so what would that be? Uh, the 23rd, April, April 23rd, we're going to address this question. What does it mean for the past to control you? This is where your failures in the past, your baggage from your past, your sins in your past, it feels like you can never move past that. It just controls you. You're never going to change. You're never going to be different. People always see you in a particular way. Or maybe something was done to you in the past that causes so much shame that you never feel worthy to come and receive God's love. You never feel worthy to come and be a part of a church family. You just feel controlled by what happened in your past. So on April 23rd, we're going to address that. Then, April 26th, that Wednesday, we're going to have our friends from Hope is Alive Addiction Recovery come on that Wednesday night, and they're going to talk about what does it mean to have a dark past, a past of addiction to drugs and alcohol, and what does it look like for God to bring freedom and help us to move forward through that? So that's the first fear. Second fear is the fear that the present will overwhelm me. We're going after this one next week. Next Sunday morning, we're going to talk about what do I do when I can't spin any more plates? Like, I'm spinning all the plates right now that I can spin. I can't juggle any more balls right now. Like, I'm completely overwhelmed. What do I do when it feels like my present circumstances, if anything else happens in life, I'm just going to break down. I, I can't deal anything else in my life right now. How do I respond to that? Next Sunday morning, we're going to deal with that fear. How do we move forward? Maybe, maybe right now in your family, you just feel overwhelmed by things that are happening in your home or your family, and you just feel, I can't take anything else. What does God's Word have to say about that? So next Sunday morning, we're going to deal with that. Then the, the Wednesday night right after that, which is, puts us around April 19th or, or so, Jeremy and Caleb Freeman uh, Jeremy, who's a wonderful pastor at First Baptist Newcastle, Jeremy and Caleb are going to come and share with us that Wednesday night. They've experienced what it feels like to have overwhelming circumstances. How do you respond? So they're going to come and talk about that. Then finally, number three. This would be April 30th. What about the fear that the future will disappoint me? Fear of the future that causes anxiety. All the anxiety people our club here at church, the Anxiety Club, like I think I'm the president of the Anxiety Club, but uh, what do you do when you're just, you have fear of the future, fear of what's going to happen next? 
fear of graduation, fear of retirement, fear of what's going to happen with your job, fear of your parents aging, fear of am I going to be successful, all these things about the future, what's going to happen in my future? When we think about fear of the future, one of the things that comes in the future that a lot of people fear is the fear of death. Let me, let me show you a couple of verses that deal with this. Hebrews chapter 2. Let's think about this idea of fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things. This verse on the screen, this is Christmas. That Jesus came, became fully human, lived among us. He came and lived among us. Why? Next part of the verse. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The fear of death makes us slaves to this world, makes us slaves to sin. And you might say, I'm not afraid of death. Really. People who are afraid of death, they spend their whole life trying to accumulate as much wealth as they can, win as many games as they can, leave the best legacy they can, live for all this world has to offer. Because if this world is all there is, you do those things. You live for this world because you know that death will bring it into that. But if death is not the end of the story, if Jesus has risen from the dead, if there is hope for the future, if death's been defeated, I don't have to live for this world. I don't have to live with FOMO, fear of missing out. I don't have to live with fear of what if everything in this life doesn't go the way I want because I know that Jesus has destroyed death and he brings eternal life. So this morning, what I want to do very quickly for you is I want to give the quick answers that we're going to unfold for the next three weeks. How does the power of the resurrection help us overcome these fears? Number one, past. When we think about the past, my past controls me, my stupid decisions in the past, my sins in the past, what people have done to me in the past, those things that control me, how does Jesus help you overcome that? It's Jesus' forgiveness and healing. Because of the resurrection, you can know that Jesus is able to forgive your past and he is able to heal your past. He's able to transform your life because of what he did on the cross and through the resurrection. Your past does not have to control and determine your future. You don't have to live afraid that your past is always going to catch up with you when you trust in Jesus. Number two, the present. What do you do when you live every day with this thousand pound weight on your shoulders? You're overwhelmed by life, all of other people's problems that they put on you, all of your own problems that you carry around. What do you do in the middle of that? Jesus brings peace. And Jesus brings power. And Jesus sustains you through those things. Because Jesus died and rose again, he has dealt with your deepest needs. And in the middle of all of your junk and all of your pain and all of your panic, Jesus is right there with you. In the middle of your fear at home, in the middle of your fear at work, Jesus is right there with you. His resurrection is powerful to sustain you. And then when you think about the future, when you're worried about change in your life, when you're worried about what's coming next, maybe God is calling you to do something or go somewhere and you're afraid to do it. Friend, you do not have to be afraid because of the resurrection of Jesus. He invites you into his mission 
and he reminds you that he has made possible eternal life. And so you do not have to be afraid of the future. You do not have to be afraid of empty nest life at home. You do not have to be afraid of retirement. You do not have to be afraid of the change that's coming. You do not have to be afraid of death because of Jesus. Now the question is, how are you going to respond to that? Because remember, the whole message of the Gospel of Mark is meant to ask us the question, what would I have done if I was there? Would I run away in fear or would I trust in the power of the resurrection of Jesus? You know those books that you read as a kid maybe that you like choose your own ending books? Like, do I want to go this way or this way? Um, or those Netflix shows that you can watch now? Like, does Bear Grylls want to jump over the canyon or does he want to like battle the crocodile? Or like, how do I want this story to go? The Gospel of Mark ends with fear, but it's meant to drive us to faith. I'm going to turn to Jesus. I'm going to confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. If you're here this morning and you have never confessed Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you've never turned away from sin and said, I want to follow him. I want to trust him. I want to be a Christian. This morning on Easter is the perfect time to do that. Don't let fear of what other people would think, don't let fear hold you back from confessing Jesus as Savior and Lord. Maybe you've never been baptized the way Patricia was this morning. You've always been afraid of taking that step. You've always been afraid of what people would say. Maybe on Easter you say, I need to be baptized. I've never done that publicly. I've never shown people what God has done in my life, and I need to do that. Maybe this morning, it's been a long time since you've been in church. You're frustrated at church. You've had bad church experiences in the past. You've just gotten out of the habit. You've forgotten what it is to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with other people. And Easter is your opportunity to say, I'm not going to miss out on what God is doing. I'm going to be part of the church where I can serve and encourage other people and get involved in the mission of God. This morning, will my life be driven by fear or will my life be driven by faith and the power of the resurrection of Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the celebration of Easter. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross to take away our sin and our guilt and our shame. He took all of the darkness and the evil in this world upon himself. And he was buried and then he rose again. And that resurrection brings so much power into our lives and into our world. It is our only hope. The resurrection of Jesus is how we deal with our dark past. The resurrection of Jesus is how we deal with our difficult present. And the resurrection of Jesus is how we deal with our uncertain future. And God, this morning, we come together on this Easter Sunday morning to say we trust in Jesus. He is our life. He is our hope. God, I pray that those who are gathered here this morning with family and friends, that instead of being controlled by fear, that they would respond with faith to Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.